0: Fall of Evening by Rabbi Janet Martyr and Rabbi Sheldon Martyr. Fall of Evening, darkness all around us. The three year old wakes up crying, sees monsters in the shadows, and we lie awake for hours, dreading monsters that are real. Eventually, you learn there are no charmed lives, no special immunity from suffering and loss. We cannot pray for safety, only for the strength to endure. So let us build a canopy while we can, for the darkness falls on all of us. There is no shelter from the shadows, no protection from the terrors of night, nothing but the warmth of a loving touch, comforting reminder, you are not alone. so my reflection is it really a reflection if it's about vampires i mean there's that whole mirror thing and so maybe this is a non-reflection an unreflection i don't really know
1: she
0: was trying to get out of the assignment. yeah <laughs> exactly right I'm, I'm just gonna go back sit down because can't do a reflection about vampires um <laughs> yeah exactly so I don't, act, I don't think I'm actually a vampire, but I do have a lot in common with them. I really don't like sunlight. The rest of y'all get excited on sunny days, but not me. The sun is hot and it gets in my eyes and it blinds me. Why is this a good thing? Give me some clouds, air with a slight chill to it and a cozy jacket and I'm a happy camper. Days like today, the fall. I'm also an insomniac. I have literally been an insomniac since I was an infant. I still remember the knockdown drag out fights over bedtime when I was a kid. And to this day, I have many sleepless nights and am often up till three in the morning. Put me, But put me on a cold stone floor at two in the afternoon under bright sunlight after just drinking a cup of coffee and I will probably be asleep in five minutes or less. I just feel more alive at night. My mind is clearer. I love the mysterious nature of the night, the slightly unsettling, uncertain feeling of the dark, the stillness, the lack of distraction. There's magic in the night. I also have a strong fascination with European, uh, European culture, particularly the medieval through Victorian periods, and I love Gothic architecture. And I love to wear black. I've incorporated other colors here and there over the years, but it's pretty rare for me to walk out of the house without at least one article of black clothing on my body. I love the sleekness, the starkness, the contrast of black, the color that is a combination of all colors and the absence of all colors, the color of the night, the color of the universe. And at times I have reveled in wearing what would commonly be referred to as goth attire, like spiky silver jewelry and chunky heeled boots. Um, I still look for opportunities to let that side of myself out, though unfortunately not as frequently as I used to. The motif of the vampire is a way of taking the dark and making it beautiful. Still scary and mysterious, but also irresistible and alluring. Vampires represent the other. They represent what we dread, but for some of us, they also represent something inside of us that does not normally get a chance to be expressed. As a friend of mine said when I was discussing this service with her, vampires are an embodiment of something we fear, something we fear we might be something we fear we might want to be. To find the vampire inside of yourself, you have to take the road less traveled, embrace your vulnerability, and venture out into the deep, chilly darkness of the night. Up jagged stone stairs to a castle with spires reaching to an intensely black sky. You must walk a labyrinth of shadowy candlelit hallways that mirror the many twisting pathways of the human mind. You must search every murky, dusty room and break through the cobwebs that lurk in your own psyche. And then finally, you find the vampire dressed not just in black, but in darkness. They smile at you serenely over a, co- over a goblet full of what might or might not be wine and welcome you back to yourself, saying simply, I've been waiting for you to find me. I've been here with you all along.
1: We have two readings today. The first is an excerpt from uh, an essay, Not Just Dead, But Gay, Queerness and the Vampire by William A. Tringley. The vampire is the queerest of monsters. Its terror does not emerge because it is an ungodly creation of science or a mindless killing machine. It does not rise from the deep, Scaled and covered in algae to steal unwary beachgoers. It is not a mishmash of various corpses sewn together by a mad scientist. It does not howl at the moon or remained a mild-mannered Jekyll in its waking hours only to transform when it lies down to bed. No, the horror of the vampire is sexual. Worse. It is sexual in all the wrong ways. It's beautiful, charming, even occasionally funny and likable, but definitely abnormal. This allows the vampire to become a conduit for cultural anxieties concerning queerness. As a creature that straddles the binaries of life and death, drawing attraction and repulsion, the vampire queers both gender and sexuality. In order to reinforce heteronormativity, the vampire must be eliminated, or else the cycle of queerness and therefore horror will continue into the next generation.
0: I wrote this when I was 26 or 27 years old and finally typed it out from the margins of the book it was written in uh, that I jotted it down in. So here we go. The play. We are actors every day. We write the script and then we play. Pretend to be what we are not. Let others change for us the plot. Sometimes we play the part so well that even we cannot tell who is real and what is not, who we are and what we thought. We work all day on our conformance, rehearsing for some grand performance, the day when this will all be true, when life is happy and simple too, when our skeletons are laid to rest and every day we are the best. We practice with tenacious drive. Day in, day out, we do strive. We fool them all. No one knows who really is inside these clothes. And in this skin and in this head, in truth, she might as well be dead. Yet they are actors too, you know. They know the ropes. They've played the show. And truth be told, they like the play. They all come back every day to see it performed anew but not really for a better view. And of course, we aim to please, our audience we do appease. Not too deep or too sad, nothing that will hurt too bad. None of the insanity or the scars and anarchy, all the stuff that fills our brains and haunts us with bitter pains and bloats us till we might explode or scream and rant or just implode. No, we continue with the play, saying all is well, have a nice day. So why not give up the ruse? Must we always amuse? Are we afraid what they might say, the shock and horror they would display? No, it's not the audience that keeps us locked inside this fence. We are actors playing for ourselves, even when no one else delves far enough to expose our act, for in the end, we've made a pact, that we are thespians to the core, we love our art, and what's more, if we would stop, what would we find if we just gave up this grind, that reality is inescapable, and sometimes we are incapable of facing things we never saw before, but they are things we can't ignore, and that sanity begins and ends when one no longer pretends.
1: As you might expect, I studied religion in college before going to seminary specifically with a concentration in ethics and social justice. That's probably not much of a surprise, good grounding. But many of you may not know that I also had a second major in my undergrad, which was in peace, justice, and conflict resolution studies. Now for the second important arena of study, my concentration was in gender and sexuality. So beyond exploring the general theory and practice of peacemaking, the work of justice, and the pathways towards conflict resolution, I took several courses on the wide array of concerns within the fields of gender and sexuality. And this is not a random nugget of trivia for the Reverend Nick Pop quiz after the service. I hope you're ready. In fact, it's not trivial at all. The way I perceive the world the way I personally make meaning and act in the world is through the lens of religious ethical concern for the justice and well-being of marginalized people and communities as we collectively seek to liberate ourselves from these oppressive systems that we've inherited and unavoidably perpetuate. We are discussing two of these systems of oppression today. The first is homophobia. Which is an irrational fear of aversion to or discrimination against homosexuality or gay people. The second is transphobia, which is an irrational fear of aversion to or discrimination against transgender people. Fear, aversion, and discrimination, whether on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity, should each be of critical concern for us. Uh, Should each be of critical concern for us considering the world we live in today. My hope in this sermon is to focus on the first of these issues fear, fear, as we personally navigate the ever changing topics of sexuality and gender in this millennia. Continuing our series on facing our monsters, exploring fear feels to be a good direction to explore, and we are by doing so confronting the horrors as embodied in the vampire so originally this was there's going to be the sound uh, thunderclap and it was going to lights flicker but we we had to cut that so picture it we'll add it to the pledge drive yeah. anyway how many of you have a particular interest in vampires or maybe you did when you were younger anyone okay Leslie clearly did, and does. Vampires are the quintessential monster when it comes to topics related to sexuality and gender. As noted in our first reading by William Tringley, the vampire's monstrosity is due to its abnormal nature. He writes vampires vampire is the queerest of monsters. Its terror does not emerge because it is an ungodly creation of science or a mindless killing machine. It does not rise from the deep, scaled, and covered in algae to steal unwary beachgoers. It is not a mishmash of various corpses sewn together by a mad scientist. It does not howl at the moon or remain a mild-mannered Jekyll in its waking hours only to transform when it lies down in bed. no. The horror of the vampire is sexual. Worse, it is sexual in all the wrong ways. It is beautiful, charming, even occasionally funny and likable, but definitely abnormal. Abnormal might be a more familiar and comfortable term than the word queerness or queer, but they are more similar than you might imagine. First, let's define the term queer, which is used 144 times in his essay, from which our reading is derived. Queer in the context of the vampire in general may be understood as, in his words, quote, pertaining to anything regarding gender and sexuality that is non-normative, end quote. For many in this room, queer... Was once heard as a derogatory and hateful term used against people in the LGBT community, or just a pejorative term to friends on the playground. However, in recent decades, the term has been reclaimed by much by many people and groups, and thus the addition of the Q on LGBTQ. Queerness, or to queer something as a verb, is to acknowledge or invite complexity to our overly binary world. Queerness, whether in gender identity or sexual orientation, is a resistance to a binary notion of gender, man or woman, and sexuality, man and woman. The binary, whether in computer science, logic, or human definition, avoids nuance at all cost. There is no room for gray space or the in between. Likewise in our communities, we are asked for them from the moment we are born to fit neatly into one gender. And subsequently this odd projection onto newborns that one day they will have a child or their own through a heterosexual marriage and an act of procreation. It's a weird projection so early. When we deviate from these norms, whether by a boy wanting to wear a dress, or an adult exploring different hairstyles, clothing options, or refusing labels. Our society struggles. We struggle, on the whole, to categorize what is happening. What is happening? Let me be clear. Binary categorization may feel, and probably is, a helpful personal psychological tool to understand the world, but doing so at a structural political legislative level will almost always lead to discrimination, dehumanization, and harm. Said more simply, to create binary distinctions in a world of complexity, pluralism, and queerness is to label one who deviates from the norm a deviant. It is hard, I have seen, especially for those who fit neatly into the gender and sexual a sexuality expectations as assigned at birth, to not see deviation as a form of deviance. As a result, the person, group, or religious community who embraces queerness, complexity, and individual freedom of expression, whether through gender and sexuality or spirituality, becomes increasingly seen as a threat, as a problem, as a monster. Now, these are just my beliefs. I've spent years learning about these topics and trying to unlearn anti-queer teachings that are everywhere in society, but the forces that seek to crush humanity will do so. Regardless of it being on the basis of ethnicity, race, nationality, religion, gender, sexuality, disability, economic status, etc. To fear is to fear, to be averse is uh, to be averse to difference is to be ad- adverse to difference discrimination is discrimination hate is hate when the pitchforks are pulled from the barn or the pen is uncapped to sign bigoted in- for legislation into law it is hard to put them down again as the saying goes you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube the vampire is a perfect monster to explore some of these themes While the vampire may not see a reflection in the mirror, we may catch a glimpse of ourselves in the vampire. We might ask, how does queerness show up in the vampire archetype? Well, first off, where there is mystery, there is queerness. Let me say that again. Where there is mystery, there is queerness. The vampire exudes mystery, his physicality elicits both fear and arousal, his charm works on all genders, his act of violence sucking the blood of his victims is also his means of procreation, and thus survival. The actual transformation of a human into a vampire is an act of queering that person's identity, and the examples go on. Tringley lifts up an important topic in both the Gothic era and in our modern society, which is repression. He writes, quote, what is repressed in these novels is queerness. In the same way, the denial of the vampire's existence does not cause it to vanish. The protagonists' denial, or our denial, of the queerness of their actions and behaviors do not negate them. Repression." or resistance or legislation or hate crimes cannot erase the existence of queerness in our society. Closing our eyes to our LGBTQ plus siblings or our own internal multitudes will not work. They are around us, they are with us, they are us. Repression does not work, it harms it harms those who do so on their own uh, on their own sense of sexuality and gender identity or try to inflict it on others repression is an affliction tringali also acknowledged the futility especially as it relates to our binary obsessed society writing quote in binaries what is repressed death or the past or the mythical returns to haunt the other side of that binary. I'm reminded of that Faulkner quote I say often, the past is not dead, it is not even past. And so we cannot escape our shadows, our souls, or our own sacred individuality and humanity. So the vampire invites us to avoid repressing our exploration of not just sexuality and gender, but the fullness of our own humanity and self-definition we know we live in a repressed society when we talk about what when we talk when we talk about sexuality or gender we immediately and narrowly think oh this is a deviation from the norm this may get a little too personal or what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom but this is where we all get it wrong many of us get it wrong at least gender and sexuality is not an isolated part of our identities or spaces in our in our homes. There is a private quality, yes, to our personal reflection and journeys around these subjects, but there's also this very public reality that we exist in this world. Believe it or not, we often need to go outside in the sunlight, to live and to see other people, and we hope that in those encounters we will be viewed as worthy of respect, compassion, and love for those for who we are at our deepest and truest level. Vampires give the illusion that we can live comfortably in their Victorian Mansions removed from society up a huge hill surrounded by cliffs and threats from the outside world. But inevitably, in every piece of literature, film, and art, at least that I've encountered, there is an encounter at some point with the outside world, like that movie, Interview with the Vampire. It's a good one. In these moments, the private world and the public world intersect and our identities and vulnerabilities are laid bare in that in that connection or they are repressed or somewhere in between depending on the setting and as once st- and as one stands there as she so beautifully created an image as one stands there whether vampire human or a little of both they are confronted with a very serious question how will i Live today with integrity in a way that honors and recognize the fullness of my humanity, the beauty and the gifts of my gender and sexuality, and is both window and mirror to others facing the exact same question. I'll ask it again. How will I live today with integrity in a way that honors and recognizes the fullness of humanity, the beauty and gifts of my gender and sexuality, and is both window and mirror to others facing the exact same question. And that's it. That is the invitation of the vampire. And they are both that they are both window and mirror to explore the concepts of gender and sexuality and personal um and and personal self-definition as well as societal sentiments regarding deviation from the binary norm and so we can look from our homes up to the castle far over there wondering how one can live with such integrity and self-confidence or we can see that window which each of us has a window into the soul of another and consider what invitation, reflection, and honesty we are asked to bear in this life. I believe this is and can evermore be a place where we are both window and mirror to one another as we seek to, the, to live the lives of integrity that we long to. I believe this is and can evermore be a place where our differences matter. They matter more than you fitting into a norm, or to a binary, or to a status quo. This is a community of not repression, but celebration, not restriction, but liberation, not fear, but collective compassion and embrace for the beauty that is you. The inherent worthiness of love that you were born with, and for which we can model to one another, to the world, what love looks like both here and out there. May we dare to deviate. May we dare to dream. May we fear not the sun, but bask in its life-giving warmth and light. May it be so, and amen.